you're very welcome along. It is Midwest Radio. It's two minutes now past nine o'clock on Saturday, the 8th of September. I'm Pori Corkin. is sitting across from me. Good morning, Good morning. Deirdre. I morning, felt listeners. like ringing you early this morning and saying, we could probably start that programme at eight <laughs> o'clock today, if that's okay with yeah. you. The volume, of qu- birds, yeah, the volume of questions have been quite something and from very early this morning. So uh, we will really be uh, exercising you for the next hour or so anyway. But sure, it's uh, been such a great week. Hasn't it been amazing? Amazing. Amazing week. And I suppose people, for the first time, probably right through the summer, they've got back out into the garden, you know, with some consistent good weather uh, day after day. So I'd say there's been a lot of lawns mowed and a lot of weeds sprayed and a lot of jobs done in the garden. So I'm not surprised we're getting lots of questions. Yeah, that's exactly it. I I have to say, I got my own lawn mowed for the first time in a couple of weeks. It was quite long. And actually, I have a bit of waterlogging going on. And I think for the first time in a long time, I actually can see it drying up. Oh yeah. yeah, well that's it. It's amazing what a few days yeah. will do and start to dry things up, and and you'll start to get the growth again because the temperatures are still quite warm, and if they stay, you know, if we keep continue with the temperatures and continue with some dry weather, we get growth right up to the end of September, well into October. So um, you'll you'll need to cut that grass again. Oh <laughs> gosh, thank you. And actually, I noticed that the lawnmower was given a bit of a splutter. Yeah. Like, Gosh, that thing needs a service. Well, I was well, wondering, will I get another cut or two out of it or will I have to bring it down now? And it's probably the grass is choking it as well. I mean, you'd need to be mowing it literally once a week at this, still at this time of year. Mm. And of course, the feeding is going to be important as well to feed it now coming into the autumn. But an autumn feed, don't put on your traditional spring and summer feed. Use an autumn feed which are designed to green up the grass without forcing growth. So go into your local garden centre, ask for a good autumn lawn feed. They tend to contain a moss killer as well, which is beneficial at this time of year. Oh, well, it'll be beneficial in my garden, I'll yeah, tell you. Yeah, and get, get that on. It'll just green mm. it without actually making it grow. It'll, it'll give it a lovely green colour for the winter and address the moss as well in the lawn. Okay. Task so number one on the list when we leave the building later on this morning. Okay, loads of questions, right, as I said, Park. so we'll go straight okay. into it. Uh, a bit of everything and anything. First of all, we're on to cabbage. Is it now the time to sow for spring cabbage? What prep... Also, this person would like to move with double question. A 10-year-old wedding cake tree planted in the wrong place. When should I do it uh, and how successful will it be? And that's from Marion in Westport. Good right, morning. And, and the wedding cake tree is an absolutely beautiful tree. It is. And it's an expensive tree. If you buy it, if you buy it um, a 10-year-old tree could cost you anything up to 600, 800 euros. So it's oh my in, gosh. So I would be very careful with this tree. Right, this is a yeah. prized tree. How bad a spot is it in, I wonder? Well, it, it doesn't like a lot of wind. Okay. It's in the Cornus family. Cornus controversia variegata, if it's the variegated form. Mm. An absolutely beautiful tree. And it gets its name from the wedding cake tree because of the perfect layers of branches. So when you see it, particularly at 10 years old, you, you'll spot it 50 yards away. It's an absolutely beautiful tree. It has lovely variegated leaves at this time of year. And then in the autumn, the leaves turn to red, scarlet red colour, and the branches are red as well. So it's, it's one of these kind of specimen plants that you plant to the bottom of your garden um, because of its beauty and because of its shape. And you're going to see it literally 50 metres away. So it's not a plant you'd put in amongst other plants. It's a specimen tree. It needs to be out on its own and it needs space because it'll spread, the branches will spread anything up to 10 to 15 feet in diameter. So it's the sort of plant that needs space. It needs a large garden. There's no problem lifting it. Um, we have lifted any, you know, corn, uh, uh, wedding cake trees up to 10, 12 feet, no problem. The time to do it is in November. So leave it alone until November. Get your spade at that time of year and make sure that you cut the the, the roots well out from the, the, the main stem. And if it's 10 years old, you'd be coming out at least four to five feet, cutting in a circular pattern and lifting the root ball all in one go and replanting the tree. But make sure that... Um, the listener puts it into a, a large area, give it plenty of space. It'll tolerate a certain amount of wind, but not very exposed. And in Westport, obviously, that's it may bit be of getting, a challenge. Yeah, there, and it yeah. may be getting a bit of damage mm. and whatever. Um, but certainly, it's a prize tree. I'd be very careful lifting it. They do transplant well if if they're lifted carefully. Remember to replant it back at the same level when you're putting it back down. Stake it well and it'll kick back into growth again and be perfectly okay next next spring. Yeah. So November is the time to do it. Um, take as much of the root ball as possible and transplant it all in the one go. Prepare, the obviously, the planting hole beforehand and make sure you replant it down at the same level. That's very important that you're not putting it 6 or 12 or 8 inches deeper than, than it was originally. 
Okay, great. That'll harm the roots. Going back, sorry, to the pe- mm. to the cabbage, yes. Well, first of all, you can pa- cabbage plants are available at the moment. So if you want some Savoy or spring cabbage, the plants are actually available in garden centres at the moment, as are broccoli, lettuce, all of those, the Japanese, the winter onion sets and garlic. So if the listeners want, want to be planting straight away, say they're taking out potatoes or other crops and want to get something in, the plants are available at the moment. But you can also sow some seed and it's a good idea to do both because the seed will take another four to six weeks before they're strong enough to plant out into the garden. Now, you can sow them directly in the soil if you wish, but it's going to take longer for them to germinate. So my advice is to sow the spring cabbage in trays or pots indoors on a windowsill. Get the growth. It'll come on very, very quickly. Just cover the seeds with a bit of cling film. They'll germinate within about a 10-day, two-week period, and they'll be ready for planting out around the end of September, rather than maybe sowing them directly into the soil, because the other problem you have with the soil is slugs and they'll get on the seedlings very mm. quickly and do damage. So if you have a tunnel or a greenhouse or a, a spare windowsill indoors, sow the seed of cabbage. You can sow lettuce, you can sow winter onions. There's lots of vegetable seed that can be planted at this time of year. But I would start it off indoors with the view to planting it out then at the end of September, early October. And at least the plants have a good, strong head start. Right. Um, so maybe do a, bit, a little bit of both. So plant some vegetable plants which are available now and also plant some seed and you'll get that succession of crops right the way through. Great stuff. Now, Jerry's has a liquid amber tree. It's eight or nine years old and about nine feet high. Right. Uh, west wind has one side ruined. Okay. Uh, and they're wondering, is it safe to move it to shelter? It is. And another beautiful tree. I mean, there's two two classics, mm. the, the wedding cake tree and liquid amber is a beautiful, um, not probably not very well known um, in the west of Ireland, but it, it has a leaf like a maple leaf. A right. uh, nice conical shape, so the, the tree tends to not be very wide spreading, but has a nice kind of uh, cone height, shape, as yeah. it were. But the leaves go a beautiful scarlet autumn, or all colour in the autumns, so, so they go that liquid amber. It's a great name, isn't, isn't it? it is, yeah. So it's that amber colour, that, that orange, that red, that scarlet colour on the maple leaf from October right through to maybe the end of November. So a beautiful plant. Again, it's a deciduous tree, so leave it alone until November. Dig it up at that time of year and you can transplant it. Exactly the same as I mentioned for the uh, wedding cake tree. So move it uh, reasonably sheltered spot. The other thing I would do is if one side of the tree has been damaged mm. by the wind, the other side will obviously be... Uh, you'll need to compensate, you'll need to rebalance the branch structure. So it will mean cutting back the healthy side, as it were, the east-facing side of the liquid amber, just to balance up the tree again. Because once you transplant it, if you don't prune it back, you'll tend to get more growth on the the healthier side, the the, the side that hasn't been damaged by the wind. So cut it back, cut back the healthy growth by about 50%, about halfway. And that'll just rebalance the, the tree. And when it comes into growth in the spring, then you get equal growth on both sides of the tree. Okay. So the same thing, transplant it, put it down the same depth, put a good stake with it, and then as we come into April, May of next year, give it a good feed of, of sudden impact or a tree and shrub feed and it'll be perfectly okay. And is it, uh, are, are, is it hard to grow or is it, you know... Does no, it liquid ambers are, are, where they're actually, you know, they come for places like yeah. uh, North America, Canada, and, and in those countries they have fantastic autumn colour. Yes, so the colder the autumn the better the colour, actually, oh. in the liquid amber. But it's a lovely tree. It's a, it would remind you of the Virginia creeper on the, the, the climbing right, plant that kind on the wall. Of that colour. kind of colour, yeah. But obviously the leaf is as big as your hand. OK, sounds so stunning. It's very dramatic. As, as, an, as an older tree, you know, 10 years plus, mm. um, it can be very stunning. And particularly if we get a, a, re, a nice cold autumn, it's particularly good because the colour tends to stay longer. Okay, so it has a vibrancy, obviously. Yeah, oh, it's very, mm. a beautiful tree and easy to grow. It doesn't suffer kind of pests and diseases. It's a really nice plant. So liquid amber, look out for that one. It's just yeah. something different. Yeah, sounds lovely. So, something different. Uh, what trees would you recommend, Porek, for a small exposed garden on a hilltop that would give a few seasons of interest, it's a nice way of putting it, and be beneficial for birds? Well, trees will tend, I mean, you'll get many, many years of interest from, but if it's exposed and it's small, I would, first tree that comes to my mind would be one of the whitethorn family. There's a lovely one called Crataegus Paul Scarlet, which is extremely tough, extremely hardy, um, very nice plant. You could grow the mountain ashes, which are beautiful everywhere at the moment. They're full of berry and there's about 10 or 15 different varieties of the sorbus. So varieties like Joseph Rock, which has got lovely leaf colour, but also yellow berries, bright yellow berries that the, I was going to say the birds tend to dislike so maybe it, you know oh. the, this listener wants to feed the birds mm. so use maybe some of the red the red buried varieties just for for um, feeding the birds but the yellow variety Joseph Rock is quite nice um, there's another variety called Vilmariana which has 
pink berries. So anything in the sorbus family, they're tough, they're hardy, mountain ash. So as you can as you can t- detect from the name, they tend to grow in mountainous regions and exposed areas. Nice white flowers in the summer, great autumn colour. Hollies would do very well as well. And again, are great for wildlife. So there's many different varieties of holly. Tend to be a little bit slower growing, but again, would be a very good... Um, small tree in, in an exposed area. So for me, any of the holly varieties, any of the mountain ash or sorbus varieties, white beam will be another very good small tree for exposed areas and the crotagus, Paul Scarlet, which is in the same family as the white thorn mm. and you know how tough the, the white thorn is. Yeah. And the birds just love the, the common white thorn for the fruit in the autumn for the horse. Yeah, lovely though. Yeah, the Paul's So they're, they're all good, really good varieties. A good time to plant them as well. This is, a, you know, coming into the autumn now, it's nature's time to plant, so it's a good time to be putting trees and shrubs in general in the garden. Okay, and we're going to stay with trees for one more question. There's right. a lot of tree questions today. A beech tree, it's over 20 years old. It recently fell over from root disease. Oh, right. uh, what's best to replace it with? Well, it, first of all, I would treat the soil for um, beech in particular can get uh, a disease called bootlace fungus, which attacks the root structure and rots it rots Interesting the root. name. Yeah, and, and it gets the name because it looks, the, the disease itself looks like uh, bootlaces. It's right. black in colour and tends to be um, long and stringy. So I would treat the soil, first of all, with a little bit of our millitox, which will um, sterilise the soil and, and prevent any other damage from, from a tree. But then it's just a question of putting in a tree that you'd particularly like. So the liquid amber for me would give you a very good uh, colour, foliage colour, nice tree. It'll grow to about 15 to 20 feet in height. Um, you could put in one of the copper beech or copper foliaged um, mount, uh, maples. Okay. Acer Crimson oh, King lovely. is a really, really nice variety or Acer Century. Two beautiful varieties with lovely red foliage. Another nice one is one called Acer Drummondii, which has got a variegated leaf. So there's a very wide range of trees available at the moment here, but I would treat the soil first of all with a little bit of our melotox, mix it up with water, pour it into the soil. That'll help to kill off any disease that might be there and then replant your, your new tree into the ground. Okay. Now, from trees inevitably to weeds, a weed that looks like a strawberry plant and a weed with white flower bells, what'll kill them? What is what a weed? What kind of weed? Well, what is a weed when you think about it, you know? It's a plant. Yeah, I, I remember suppose. my son saying to me one day, I asked him when he was only three or four, yeah. I said, what's a weed by the chain? And he said to me, a weed is a bad flower. Dad. It's a bad flower. <laughs> That's a great word for it. <laughs> well, we have some bad flowers <laughs> annoying well, people this morning. Well, underneath a, a hedge like this, it's probably ground elder the listener has, uh, which, which uh, you know, again, is very invasive. Uh, but it's a good time. It's actually a great time in the garden to kill weeds, funnily yeah. enough, because a lot of them are producing seed or flower. And as they're producing seed, they tend to be very weak, the plant itself, because it's putting all that energy into producing the seed. So they're very vulnerable to putting on treatments at this time of year and killing them back. So things like scutch grass and docks and dandelions and just weeds in general, September, early October, you'll find you get a very, very good kill if you apply something like Weed Free 360, which I would apply in this case. So you'd mix it up in water, a little bit of washing up into the mix, into your sprayer or washing can. Make sure that you protect the hedge. So either put some plastic up against the hedge or hold, get somebody to hold some cardboard up against the hedge. So you're only exposing the weeds. Apply the 360 weed killer directly onto the weeds. The, the, the mixture that falls onto the ground will become neutralised. So it won't affect the hedge through its root structure. So as long as you keep the mix off the leaf of the hedge, then it won't damage the hedge. So, and today would be a good day. You need a dry day, a calm day to put on the weed killer. So, weed-free 360, mix it up in water, apply it onto the foliage, protect your hedge by putting cardboard or plastic or something just up on the foliage so the spray doesn't get up onto the the leaf of the the, uh, hedge. And the weed-free 360 will kill those weeds within about 10 days, 12, you know, 12 days of this time of year. Okay, great. Now, you need to keep an eye on that then next spring. And if you see anything popping up, obviously treat it as well. You know, just keep an eye on it. The one application will probably get rid of 80% of the weak row, but you will need to retreat come March or April next year. Just oh. spot treat. Okay. One more and we'll take a, a quick yeah. break. And I noticed we've got a couple of email as well this morning. Um, now, this person feels that they've done all the right things, but they still have a problem. They've looked after the lawn, treated it for moss and spring, sprayed it for weeds and clover, put lawn feed on twice, despite all this, there are patches when they mow it that has white dead grass with just very little green what would be the problem? Well, it's a, it's obviously some dead grass. There are yeah. diseases of, of grasses, of course, that you can get. And obviously, the listener has done everything in their power. Mm. To, what I would do is actually reseed those areas. And again, it's a good time to reseed. Yes, grass will germinate very quickly at this time of year. So 
just literally get in those dead areas. You can either just dig away the actual the uh, dead grass and put in some fresh soil there. Um, mix a bit of lawn seed then in a, with some compost in a bucket or a, a barrow and just literally spread it onto that area that's affected. So any dead patches, any bare patches, you know, or even if you just want to fill, thicken up mm. an area of the grass that's had gone a bit, a little bit thin, then mix the seed up with, with some compost, literally throw it onto the area, take out the yard brush, brush it into the area. Within two weeks, that grass will have germinated and you're not going to be mowing the grass an awful lot more over the winter mm. period. So you get, that'll give plenty of time for that grass to knit in, which it will do. So mix up the seed at this time of year spread it into the area, brush it in and within 10 days, two weeks you'll see the grass germinating and certainly by the end of September, early October that grass will have knitted back in again. You won't even know the patches were there. Okay, well hopefully the, that person gets their garden yeah. back yeah, because they've put a lot of work in. It can be very frustrating when you're doing, you feel you're doing all the right things and still it isn't quite coming uh, to plan. But And it's uh, been a tough year on yeah. lawns. I mean the amount of water that we've had is leaching, it's taking um, nutrition away from the grass. You've also got the watering logging problem that you mentioned yourself and mm. when you've got situations like that where water is lodging the grass will die beneath it because of, you know the the oxygen squeezes the or the water squeezes the oxygen out of the soil mm. and the roots just die away yeah. so it has been a tough year on grass um, and the weeds have taken advantage the moss oh, has yeah. taken advantage so you know it, it does. It's it does just, need a little bit of care okay. for the autumn. Yeah, well, we'll we'll try and, and and fix things and get them right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Keep your questions coming to us. Oh eight seven nine hundred forty one forty one is our text. With thanks to CNC Cellular, to Brendan and all their sweet who are switching your landlines to Vodafone is easy at any of their nine regional stores. Also, if you're calling us oh eight one eight three thousand fifty five and that email address dedicated for the gardening program is simply garden at midwestradio.ie. Now you're very welcome. All sorts of questions. We're going to turn our attention to the email first of all, yeah. Boric, if we may. Shoot. And I'm just going to swing this round. Apologies if there's a little squeak there. Um, okay, so we want to say good morning to Kathleen, who has a few things attached to her question. She kind of she has four parts to it. Value for money She's this morning, getting, is she? <laughs> she is. Good morning, Kathleen. And thanks for taking the time to email us. First of all, Boric, hyacinths over the winter. What's the rule of thumb as regards digging up bulbs for the winter and storing them? Well, any of the spring flowering bulbs like hyacinths, snowdrops, bluebells and so on, you leave them leave them in the ground for the winter period. Now, hyacinths would, hyacinths are the, that beautiful spring flowering plant that flowers kind of late March, April, that's highly scented. And if the ground is extremely wet, if it was a wet part of the garden, then I would say, yes, you could lift them and maybe pot them put them into pots for the winter and let them grow on. Remember that most of the spring flowering bulbs, like the tulips I brought in last week, snowdrops, bluebells, they're all rooting at this time of year. So they're actually growing in the ground. Okay. Um, so you don't want to be lifting them and taking them out of the soil at this time of year unless the ground was excessively wet. And I would do that in the case of hyacinths. Things like daffodils, tulips, snowdrops, bluebells, all the traditional spring flowering bulbs, just leave them alone. They're, go- they're actively growing at the moment. They're producing their white roots and they'll be coming into flower from January onwards. Um, Kathleen could lift the hyacinths if she wanted, if she felt they were going to be in, in a very damp area over the winter. Lift them, pot them, pot them up, leave them out of doors to grow on for about four or five weeks and then bring them indoors. And hyacinths are highly scented um, and are lovely around Christmas time. They'll flower, you'll, you'll fool them into thinking it's, it's April. It's a, okay. Yeah, because you bring them in. And it's, I, I actually covered this on TV3 on Thursday. We potted up some hyacinth bulbs. And the point I was making is they're great for children because if you plant them now, if you buy the bulbs now, put about five into a pot, uh, into a pot of compost, water them well, leave them out of doors for five to six weeks. So about the beginning of October, you bring them back into the classroom or into the home. They come into flower, they start to grow so the kids can see them growing. Mm. And then around Christmas time or just after Christmas, they come into flower and there's an absolutely fantastic scent of hyacinths. So they're well worth growing, a really really easy bulb to grow. So in this case, Kathleen, if you feel the ground is very wet, lift them, pot them, hold them in the pots for five or six weeks and then maybe bring them indoors and you'll have some fantastic colour and scent for the... uh, winter or the Christmas kind of spring period. That's actually a lovely idea for uh, children for a Christmas present for their granny or granddad Absolutely. or mother or father or whoever. And, hy- and yeah. hyacinths and generally bulbs in general, like what you're buying in the bulb is a four or five year old plant that has been grown by the nurseries from a very, very small bulb. So everything that's in that, that you need for it to flower is already contained in the bulb. If you slice the bulb in half at this time of year, the flower embryo is, is actually formed. Huh? So in theory, all it actually needs is heat and moisture. So if you took a hyacinth 
and I was going to say if you put it on top of a, of a milk bottle, but we don't have right. them anymore, do yeah, we? No, but any container right. that would that the bulb is touching water and you get a little bit of heat and light, that bulb would actually grow without any nutrition and come into flower. So bulbs are great for children because they're foolproof. No matter if you turn them upside down, they'll, they'll still they'll grow. They'll write themselves up Exactly. There. So they're, they're great for, for kids. And within a couple of weeks, they can see them growing. And certainly by Christmas, they're coming into flower and it's a lovely scent. Paper whites will be another one that you could grow in the classroom. So paper whites or hyacinths are two for the, for the children, maybe or for, this, for the teachers to try out this year. Okay. Now, also, uh, Kathleen has a forest flame. She's wondering, should she bring it in for the winter? No, no. Forest flame is totally hardy. It's it's actually one of the great plants that have survived the hard frost for the last number of cold winters. So no, leave it outside. Okay. Uh, peony roses, they've all gone, but there's a lot of green leaves yet. They look very healthy. Should you cut them back now? I remember we had the listener that had the 50, was it? Like I 52? was just thinking of that, actually, when I was saying the peony roses there. Flowers. Yes, yeah. yeah, and peony roses, as, as Kathleen knows, the flower in May, they're gone out of flower this time of year. And they're, they're, the plant is actually building up its energy now. So leave leave the foliage alone until the end of September. Once it starts to go yellow, it the plant will tell you itself when it needs to be cut back because the leaves will start to go yellow and, and that's the time to, to cut them back. So I would say leave it alone until the end of September, possibly the first or second week of October. And once that green leaf start, green foliage starts to turn to yellow, cut it back at that stage. Okay, and the final difficulty here is snails and cabbage. What to do with them? <laughs> snails <laughs> and cabbage. What can well, I put on cabbages to get rid of snails? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing with, with the snails is you, yeah. can use, you can use the treatments, the, um, you know, some of the pellets. I mean, the, it's just been a tough year for snails and slugs in general. I find the slug liquid very effective. I, I think I mentioned that last week. Now, don't you mix it up in water and apply it not onto the cabbage, but around the area. And once the slug or snail comes in contact with them, it kills them off. Um, so, But it's just been a year for slugs and snails. So try the, the slug liquid with Kathleen, mix it up in water, apply it around the area of the cabbage but not on the foliage itself because you're going to be eating it but once the slug touches that soil it will kill it overnight. Okay. I, I was trying to be flipping. You were thinking think. of escargot or something. Well, no, like, yeah, I was thinking, oh, so I wonder, could we have snail and cabbage <laughs> yeah, casserole yeah. or something like that? Um, you'd probably play very good money for it in some restaurant somewhere would. somewhere in the world. Uh, anyway, <laughs> of course, the, the real thing is that we do need the cabbage to go in the first place and not that the snail hasn't eaten at all. Um, now, somebody's wondering about green slimy growth on the gravel pathways and the, it's green and rubbery and what yeah. is it and how do you kill it? That's a, an, an algae called Nostoc, N-O-S-T-O-C. There's a lot of it around I think the There's moment. a lot of it, and it's actually it's very distinctive because mm. it, it's like bubbles of of jelly, slimy jelly, and it's very slippery. So I mean, if you have it ar- around the area, it can be actually quite dangerous yeah. as well. If you st- if you but no, but particularly at this time of year when you get a lot of water. Nostoc or, or that green slimy algae comes to the fore, it, and during the summer normally it, it's actually it nearly hibernates in the summer as as the traditional summer dries out, it tends to recess and, and die back. But it's there, it's a living algae and as soon as the moisture hits it, it swells up again. So the thing to get rid of it is to use something like Patio Magic if it's on a gravel or, or pathway or tarmacad area. Um, mix the, the Patio Magic up, apply it to the uh, the algae and it'll kill it within a couple of days. But I would get rid of it because it's, it's the type of thing that if you leave it, uh, any bit that breaks off obviously produces a new plant and even if we'd got a very, very dry summer, it never dies. The plant actually stays living even though it has shriveled up and as soon as it hits moisture, it swells up again. So it's right. one of those things that can last from year to year. Right. Um, so I would, if you want to get rid of it, use an, uh, an algicide like Patio Magic. It'll kill it within a couple of days and get rid of it. And that can be used, the, the Patio Magic can be used on moss or other, uh, any kind of green growth on, on hard, hard surface, surface. Areas, areas like um, tarmacadam or gravel or whatever. Yeah, no, actually I, I've seen a bit You've of that around, yeah. around my own, on my own driveway. Yeah, and it's very common this year yeah. because of the high levels of, of water. Yeah. Uh, now, potatoes. Somebody's digging their first of their main Great. crop potatoes. Lovely, Lovely stuff. Uh, the Satanta variety oh, yeah. that you recommended. Yeah. Super crop, all right. You'll be delighted Great. to know. Lovely dry flesh. But they have some white spots on the skin. They're wondering what's that? That's um, that's actually a natural occurring. That's where the cells, it's called lenticels, and it's where the cells of the potato, uh, remember the potatoes are full of starch, so they're full of gases. And it needs, the potato needs to actually excrete that gas as it's growing. When you get a year like this year where, it, where there's a huge amount of moisture, mm-hmm. it finds it difficult to transfer that gas out of the potato because the moisture is right up against it. And you get this white deposit, like white pimples on 
the potato. Okay. Um, so people tend to get freaked out when they're actually digging the potatoes and they see this. The, the Are they quite, quite significant uh, well, they're, size? They're or? pure white. Right. And they're about the size of, um, you know, larger than a pinhead. But mm. So they're quite visible okay, to right. the eye. Yeah. And on a, on a tuber, you might have anything up to 20 uh, of these oh, lentil cells. Okay. But they're, it's a natural... So it's it's all it's showing is the actual cell area where the gases. So I suppose what I'm saying, in plain English, is that there's nothing to worry about. Okay. They're perfectly natural. In a, in a wet year like we've got this year, they tend to be very visible because the high level of moisture is not allowing the gases to go through as as it normally would. The word lenticel is it comes from. Um, if you notice on on birch trees, they'll have these kind of uh, lines, grey lines on a silver birch, mm-hmm. and that's oh, yeah. you're right, and that's yeah. and that's where the birch again uh, the, the carbon dioxide leaves the the or oxygen leaves the plant at that stage, and it takes its carbon dioxide in as part of the leaves as well. So that's where the word comes from. So it's a natural occurring uh, cell on potatoes. Nothing to worry about. It's perfectly okay. The potatoes just lift them. Once you dry the potatoes or wash them, the white deposit will just go off the potatoes. Right. And once you cook them, they're perfectly okay. So don't don't worry about them whatsoever. Okay, not so bad. Satan, it's a great, it's a really good variety. Actually, yeah, it's performed well this year. Very good in that garden, yeah. anyway. Uh, now, somebody's wondering the best weed killer for horsetail and alder bishop's weed. Well, with bishop weed, it's the same as the ground elder. That's it's the same plant. It gets the it's the bishop weed is a common name for it. So if you use the weed free three sixty on the bishop weeds, that will get rid of it. With the mare's tail, and it's still knocking around. And again, I suppose it's testament to the wet year. Um, I would use uh, dicoflower or one of the lawn weed killers. So dicoflower is probably the best one for mare's tail. Just mix it up in water, apply it onto the foliage. You'll kill it within two or three days. Okay, lovely stuff. Now, somebody is wondering about the small tulips we mentioned last week for pots. Uh, can you just give them mention them? You, you should know the name of them. Again. Yeah, I should. That was You're the packet right. I gave you, dear. That right. was, yeah, they're red ones. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and they are small and they looked really nice. So I red. can't for the life of me, Boric, remember well, what they're it's called. It's an easy one. It's one called Red Riding Hood. Thank you. Yeah, well, I got to the red bit, right? Yeah. So there, it's a lovely variety because it's very neat. Um, it only grows six to eight inches in height. The leaf is red and green. So as in April, or say in February, when the leaf is growing, you've got this lovely foliage colour. And then the, the flower is quite large on it, even though it's a short-stemmed uh, tulip. So it's a nice variety for window boxes, containers, hanging baskets, uh, small shrub beds, you know, where you want bulbs to come mm. up through it. Um, and an easy for, and a great one for pots as well. So if you want to just plant up some in pots and have a bit of colour in the spring, put in some of the Red Riding Hood tulips. But there's loads of loads of them available at the moment. Okay. And somebody else is wondering about a tall perennial flower, any tall perennial flowers that they can plant now for colour for the autumn. They want to fill up their shrub bed with some colour. Yeah, but there's, there's quite a few that you get at this time of year. Anemones, which are, again, just in flower, the Japanese anemones, and they're lovely at the moment. Rudbeckia is still in flower, will be um, a very good plant to plant now. Some of the tall-stemmed chrysanthemums, which again will be in flower now and will flower for another uh, four to five weeks um, and give give a good bit of colour. Penstemons are again still in flower at the moment. Um, so there's a, a quite a wide range of tall stemmed uh, perennials. So for me, chrysanthemums, the penstemons are really nice. Um, Rudbeckia is very, very good and the Japanese anemones would be very good as well, any of those. Okay. Good time to plant them. And remember the perennials, they'll not only flower this year, but they'll actually come back into flower again next summer. Mm. Okay. So yeah, years. so they'll they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll yeah. it'll be well worth your while uh, spending the bit of time. Absolutely. Somebody's wondering, can you repeat the rate for iron on lawns, please? Sulfate of iron, you you would use um, three heaped tablespoons. I, I know the answer to this well, one. There you go. <laughs> three heaped tablespoons to ten liters of water, and just apply it onto the. So mix it up in water. Uh, mix it up in a bit of hot water first before mixing it into the sprayer. Okay. And then add to your your ten liters of water and just spray it on. So three heaped tablespoonfuls, ten liters of water and just spray it on to then that'll kill the moss overnight. Now remember just to apply it to the grass. And not, not the tarmac correct. or the or the or the hard surface yeah, around. It'll leave a stain. It will leave a stain. Now somebody starts off the text by saying, see, have you the answer to this one? <laughs> a challenge. I You're have a large I have a large <laughs> dandelion. yeah maybe to me. Okay. I probably don't have the answer to it. But hopefully Pork has. I have a large dandelion going right up through my forest flame. Don't want to pull it as the root will regrow. Will the root regrow? Oh, really, well, the, the the dandelions, I suppose, have a root like a parsnip. Yeah, you know, it's, so it's, it's long. It's, it's long, and if you if you pull the, the dandelion, you'll break the root and it'll just reshoot again, so it'll be back up again. So the answer to this is well, obviously you can't spray the the um, 
the uh, dandelion because you're going to damage your forest flame. So what I would use is the um, Roundup gel. There's actually a weed killer. Uh, like It's like hair gel, so it's sticky. It's already pre-mixed in the bottle and you literally just take it and rub it onto the leaf of the dandelion. So it's all, it comes pre-mixed. So it's a thing called Roundup gel, small container. You just apply it to the leaf of the weed It'll take the, the the leaf will take the uh, treatment down into the root and kill it off. And if if the listeners have any weeds growing through shrubs, use the gel. So bindweed, for example, will be one. Mm. You're the one that scrambles up, up around wraps everything. Yeah. around hedges and trees and whatever. Again, you can't be spraying because you might damage the shrub. But you could just simply get the Roundup gel and apply it onto the foliage of the bindweed, and that will. And remember what I said earlier: it's a great time to treat weeds in general because you get a very strong kill at this time of year. They're okay. vulnerable right. at this time of year. So Roundup gel for, Roundup for gel. targeted uh, weed exactly, kill. Exactly, exactly. And, okay. it's, and it's very easy to apply and you just simply just wipe it onto the leaf and that's the, the, the weed dead. Okay, lovely. Uh, somebody has two rose bushes, they never flower. What would be wrong? Should they dig them out? Well, remember first of all, what do roses need? They need a very sunny location. Uh, it, has, it has been a challenging year, shall we say, for roses because they need lots of sunshine and the rain this year tends to just rot the buds and rot the flowers and it's been, a, you know, from a disease point of view, it's also been a challenging year um, for roses. So the requirements really are full sun, a bright location, um, reasonably fertile soil and that uh, a soil that doesn't get waterlogged. So, you know, free draining soil as much as possible. Um, so in this instance, if, if all those conditions are right, then yes, I would replace the two roses. But if it's a shaded location, if the soil is, isn't um, of a good quality, then there's no point putting in more roses back into that area. Put in some shade-loving plants um, like, like fatsias, castor oil plants or skimmias that will actually tolerate those sort of conditions. So it really depends on the location, Deirdre. But if it's a bright, sunny location, the soil is relatively good, then you may have got two duds <laughs> and... And it's a good time to put in two new, two new roses. But if it's if conditions aren't right, then don't be trying to struggle right. with trying to get the roses yeah. to, to flower because they do need they do need reasonable condi- sunny you know conditions and good good fertile soil. Okay, and we're going to one more rose question very quickly, and then we're going to take another break. Uh, can we ask Boric, Have you got the rose Rachel in stock? Carmel is wondering. No, I actually rang the store just before oh, we came. Okay, <laughs> right. Oh, no, it's a that's beautiful, the gorgeous pink one that we had. It's a beautiful rose. Yes, it is stunning. A really, really yeah. nice one. And there's a great scent from it. So, Rachel, no, but it'll be back. The good news, it'll be back in about 10 days' time again. Oh, right, okay. for the, and, and autumn is a good time to be putting in roses. A really nice variety, though. Really good. Yeah, a beautiful, <laughs> nice. beautiful rose. Yeah, and uh, nice foliage as well. Nice colour, nice scent. Yeah, it's a good one. Okay. Ticks Let's, all the boxes. Quick little break, and we're back with lots more. Stay with us. Okay, there's such a range of questions this morning. Yeah, I'm going to scroll back up now to make sure that we haven't missed anybody. Uh, let's talk about harvesting onions first of all, right. Porik. How do you do that? Well, quite simply, you you lift them at this time of year. Ideally, the, the, the onions should be, the stems should be bent over at this time of year. Um, and I think I mentioned last week that onions, you need to dry them very well to store them. So I would lift them, take them out of the soil at this time of year. If you're fortunate to have a, a greenhouse or tunnel or somewhere bright and dry, or that's the, the ideal spot. So they need to be in a kind of sunny, dry position out of the rain, mm. in other words, and give them at least two to three weeks in that sort of area for the for the uh, stems to dry back fully, for the onions to lose some of the moisture that they have. Um, and once they've... So lift them, dry them in a, in a bright location in, out of the rain, and then two to three weeks from now, about the first week of October, start tying them up into bundles and again store them in an airy area because onions are full of moisture, between the layers and that can lead to rots over the winter particularly if you just put them into the garage to a dark cold area they'll tend to rot away yes. so dry them first of all and then uh, hang them up hang them up in an, an airy location now what's the best type of potatoes to sow at this time of the year well the only potatoes you can really plant at this time of year are the Christmas potatoes and for that you're going to need a glasshouse or a tunnel or an area to give them some protection right which you know is 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 possible. So in in your local garden centre, they'll have tubers of potatoes like um, Red Duke of York, Duke of York, um, Nicolai. Just many varieties, about five or six varieties that are available for planting now, that, that you harvest at Christmas. But you do need a tunnel or greenhouse to to make that happen. So if you've got that, get a couple of pots, fill them up with compost, put in about three or four tubers into the uh, pot. Fill, fill up the, the with soil, keep them moist, and within a couple of weeks you'll see the new stalks starting to grow, and you'll have potatoes then for, for Christmas. Christmas. 
Yeah, so there you go. Now, somebody's rhododendron flowered yeah. really well last year, but Great. didn't flower at all this year. Well, Why? You, you, you can find that. You can find that with rhododendrons, and you find it with actually many plants, that if they flower very heavily in one spring, they'll often skip a year for... And remember, you know, I, I, it goes back to what I always say to you about, you know, what, what's the function of a plant? A plant is there to reproduce itself. So mm-hmm. in a year when it, it's producing a lot of flower and a lot of seed it exhausts itself and it, the plant triggers itself back into producing a lot of leafy growth. So I bet the rhododendron actually grew very well this year. Lots of leafy growth, lots of healthy growth and that will come into flower next spring. So plants often skip a year. It happens in apple trees, it happens in trees like laburnum, mm. um, it can happen in rhododendrons where they're really beautiful one year but the, the plant has exhausted itself so it triggers itself to not produce flowers because that's going to exhaust itself more the following spring and switch it, its growth into producing um, leafy growth. So it's at this time of year actually rhododendrons will be starting to form their flower buds. So if you look out at the plant in October, November, you'll see the flower buds already beginning to form, the hard green buds starting to form right at the tips of the rhododendron. It's a good time of year to actually feed them and feed them with a high potash feed. So sulfur of potash on its own. And that what potash does, it slows down the growth and it induces plants into flowering for the following year. So any of your spring flowering plants like camellias, rhododendrons, azaleas, forsythii, the yellow flowering forsythii, flowering red currant, which flowers in the spring, mm. brooms, anything that flowers in the spring, they're already starting to initiate their flower buds over the ne- and will do over the next couple of weeks. And you can help that by putting a dressing of sulfur of potash around the base of the plants. So potash works in co- contrary to nitrogen. So it, it actually slows the plants down and they f- it forces them to f- produce flower buds. So it's very good for fruiting trees like apples, pears, plums at this time of year because they, again, are forming their flower buds now for springtime. So any spring flowering plant, they're coming into the time of year for setting their flower buds for next year. So if you put on the sulfur of potash now, you're certainly helping that. Okay. So that's what I would do in, in this case with the rhododendron. Just just give it a good dressing of of uh, sulfur of potash and I guarantee it'll flower next spring. Okay, it's just having a little rest this year. It's having a little yeah. break. Yeah. Okay, somebody would like to kill the strong grass going up through the young beech hedge. The grass is very strong and smothering the hedge. Can I kill it and stop the grass? The answer is yes, you can. Yes. And, and I think we had another We had another. We grass. did, and there's another grass, somebody with grass in a flower bed. Yeah, so the and same. And again, Orl, I think is her name, yeah. Um, and what can we do? So grass, grass. remember there's, there's a particular treatment that you can use to just kill grass, and it's one called fusillade. I couldn't remember the name of it. Fusillade. <laughs> so fusillade works in opposite to other weed killers yeah. in that it just kills grass. So it's very safe to use on beach. In this case, if there's grass growing up through the beach or in Orla's case, if there's grass growing up through a flower bed or whatever. If it's only grass you want to kill and protect the other plants, then use fusillade. Simply mix it up in water. Again, apply it at this time of year. It'll kill things like scutch grass, wild meadow grass, mm. annual meadow grass, any of those broadleaf grasses it'll kill off without damaging the hedge or plants around it or whatever. Okay, I'm and make sure you don't, it doesn't get on your lawn, lawn because right. obviously it's going to damage the lawn. The, it'll, it'll, kill kill the lawn. it'll all get grass, presumably. It'll, it'll kill, kill the lawn and leave yeah. the, the weeds right. growing in the lawn. <laughs> okay. yeah. So make sure it, you just apply it to the grass growing. But you can safely spray it. In this case, where the grass is growing up through the beach, mm. you can spray the beach and all quite safely. But just make sure the drift doesn't come back out onto the lawn. Um, because it just kills grass. So that's a thing called fusillade. You mix it in water, apply it on, and that'll, within two weeks, it, the grass will have died, yeah. Okay. And we're just going to stay with Orla as well for a second there because she also has um, a one-year-old laurel hedge. She's wondering, should she trim it back now? Yes, I would. I mm. just just tip it back, uh, Orla. Just take the maybe four to six inches of the top growth, even off the hedge. So pick a, a kind of a, a common height and just bring the hedge all to that level. So tip it all back, trim it back, maybe trim the sides just ever so slightly because okay. it's only one year old. And for, for listeners in general, if, if they haven't pruned the laurel hedges, now is the time to tidy them up before we get into into winter. Okay, job number two. Any cure? I oh, know we mentioned that already. Um, somebody just wants to say they found the patio magic excellent last winter for moss on the tarmac and is it okay to use it on moss on a grave? Oh uh, yeah, well, it can be used on any, on any hard surface area. Yeah. It won't bleach, it won't discolour, it won't damage. So if you've got moss growing you know, on a headstone or on a surround or whatever, mm. the patio magic is ideal. It's ideal for just getting rid of moss and algae on hard surface areas. 
Now, somebody has ants crawling up their climbing rows on the guard, garage wall. The rows seems fine. Right. Will they do any harm? Do they need to control them? Well, ants no. Ants aren't a garden pest as such. They don't they don't really feed off plants. They don't damage plants as such. They'll, they'll often take a, a small bit of of. Um, leaf or, or stem but I mean they're not a, a, a pest like green fly mm. but funny enough what they do do and I bet it's happening in this case they farm green fly which means that they what they do is they often ants will often take green fly and place them on a plant because the green fly then feed on the plant they, they exude a green fly take the protein out of plants right. and excrete the sugars so the ants eat the green flies no the ants eat the sugar oh they eat the sugar so they actually oh. farm the green fly. So they never damage the green fly, but they actually take the waste product, the green fly. If, you, if you've got green fly on your fuchsia, it'll be tacky and sticky, yeah. right? Like it'll be that sugary substance because and our green fly excrete sugars and they take in proteins, right? And the ants feed Eat on. Off. So, they, so, they, so the, the ants are placing the green fly. That's what on they do. The, that's, that's what they'll mad. do. They'll move. They'll move young green fly up to the tips of the rose bush. And I bet if the listener looks at the rose uh, bush, they'll find green fly right at the tops of the stems at the young shoots. And the green, the ants will actually move them up. So they don't damage the. They don't eat the green fly. Yeah. But they eat the sugary sugar. sap. Okay. And ants, as everybody knows, I mean, they're they're they go mad for any form of sugar. Yes, of course. Yes. Sugary yeah. substance. So that's what they're doing. They're they're getting. They're they're farming. The, the green fly making the green fly produce it's that sugary sugar. substance so, so they have sugar so what you actually got, have got is probably possibly green fly in your plants now we're coming into the autumn mm. unless it's ter- terribly bad I would just leave it well enough alone okay. and ants don't do any damage now they can sometimes you know people probably ring in and say well they're you know they're undermining my, my, my patio sometimes because of their tunnelling it can do maybe some physical damage to patio areas right. or to under shrubs that might undermine the root. But they're not a garden pest as, as such. As such. That, they're that not going de- to kill the... They're not going to eat your vegetables yeah. or eat your plants or whatever. They're And they're just using the green fly as a form of food. That's brilliant. Isn't That's real nature in action. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. I mean, they're, they're, they're similar to bees in terms of their... Uh, I was going to say their, their thinking, work rate, but, yeah, and their work rate, yeah. and just their um, the set up the colony and the way they they, they, they operate. So I'd leave them alone. Okay, we could all probably honest. learn a little something from them, perhaps. There you go. Exactly. Um, yeah. Somebody's taking cuttings of various plants in the garden, including roses and black currants. Now, do they put the rooting powder into the soil or the compost? Neither. They put it on the on the the root. On the root. Yeah. So you simply just take the cutting. In roses, take them about six inches long. Remove all the leaves and dip the cutting into the rooting powder. Now, what I would tend to advise is not to dip it into the tub itself. Spill out a bit of the of the uh, powder. It's like flour, rooting powder. Spill it onto a bit of paper and dip it into that because if you keep putting it into the the tub, eventually the with the, the amount of moisture, moisture it'll all clog kicking, up and yeah. become a mess. So spill a little bit out. You only need a tiny bit. Dip the end of the rooting of the cutting into that uh, powder and then slip it into the pot of compost. So you put it onto the root. You can actually get a, a, a rooting gel as well, a kind of a liquid, which is handy. Um, so either look for the, the rooting gel or rooting liquid or look for the powder. Both are very effective. Okay. Now, uh, somebody who sent in an email during the week, actually, um, somebody, they have a hedge of green beech and a few of them have developed a lot of brown marks on the yeah. leaves. Uh, one or two have lost all their leaves and though they're not dead they've checked for aphids there's no sign of any bug on them they sprayed with the bug killer at the beginning of the summer yeah and and again beech are in general are showing a lot of kind of physical damage um, they, they may have got that white bug the white aphid in, in uh, late May early early June which can be de- destructive on on um, on beech and one application of, of the bug clear wouldn't be necessarily uh, enough to, to, to eradicate it mm-hmm. so but beach in general they're showing brown patches in general this year um, it's nothing to worry about leave leave the, the they're going into the dormant season now so leave them well enough alone come April or May of next year feed them with a sudden impact uh, shrub feed make sure you keep all grass and weeds away from the base of the beach as well particularly as young beach because it's it is slow growing and it needs it doesn't need any competition around the base of it so keep all the weeds and grass away from them feed them with a sudden impact in, in at the end of April and again about the end of June and this should be perfectly okay it's a tough hardy plant you know I wouldn't worry about beach 
Okay, and this this lady's second problem is peas. They seem to have got blight. Is this possible? Yeah, well, peas peas have actually got um, a lot of mildew this year, and mildew go from it goes from a kind of whitish greyish mm. colour to black, and can often look like blight on on um, peas. So it's just down to to um, to mildew this year. Nothing necessarily that 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 you did right or wrong. It, it's just, it just a, has, it's been a year for mildew. And actually, where was I? I was in Galway, or I was actually going to Dublin. Uh, this week and yeah. the amount of mildew on um, Acer's maples in particular uh, Crimson King and it's still on the plant at the, even at this late stage in the year so it's been a year for mi- mildews in particular on peas and it's you get that browning kind of blackish colour so it's nothing that the you could u- have used a fungicide possibly to keep it off but with the year we've had um, I think it would have been very difficult to, to eradicate so nothing that you did wrong look at sow the peas again next year they'll be Perfectly yeah. okay. This lady ends her email by saying, "Not a very successful summer." I'm ah, afraid. no. I mean, look, it's I'm been sure it's been, it's been a challenging year, yeah, certainly. Yeah. I mean, the amount of blight, the blight, the amount of mildews. When you get that sort of wet weather, disease in, in particular, take advantage of it, and it can be very hard just to to prevent them from happening in the first place. Now, somebody is wondering when and where can you sow lavender seeds? Well, you can sow them now. The seed is available. You can buy the seed. Um, Thomas and Morgan have a, have a number of different varieties of lavender. Um, sow them indoors. They need quite a warm temperature. So sow them in some seed trays and compost. Not, have the compost nice and moist. Cover them with cling film mm-hmm. and have them inside, preferably if you had a little bright windowsill and a radiator underneath. Uh, where there'll be a little bit of heat coming off. Um, within four to five weeks, they'll have germinated. And then you just simply take the small lavender plants, pot them up into pots. And I would try and keep them indoors or in a greenhouse or tunnel for the winter period if you can. If you're leaving them out, um, try to have them in a, in a very sheltered spot because he- heavy wetness in particular and heavy frost can damage young lavender. So if at all possible, keep them in a tunnel, greenhouse or in a porch or conservatory or maybe on a warm windowsill for the winter period and then plant them out next March and April. But lavender is very successful from seed and again, it's a great time to take them from cuttings. So if you've got lavender in your garden, take some small little short cuttings Root them in the, put them in the rooting powder and you'll have great plants for next spring. Okay. Can a person prune apple trees and blackberry and gooseberry bushes at the moment? What will they feed them with? And would <coughs> rotten cow manure help? Well, um, well, first of all, in terms of the pruning, I would leave the pruning wait until the leaves have fallen off the trees. Um, so leave it until about the end of October, the first week of November, to see what you're doing. And yes, that's the time of year to cut back blackcurrants, gooseberries and apples. And it's a good time of year, again, to take cuttings of, of the blackcurrants or redcurrants or whitecurrants and even gooseberries. So leave it till November, prune them back then. Cow manure tends to force a lot of growth, Deirdre. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise it really for fruiting plants. It's great for rhubarb. Mm. So if you've got a crop of rhubarb, yes, get, put the cow manure and put a good 6 inch or 12 inch layer of cow manure on the top of it in November. But I would keep the cow manure more for potatoes, the more hungrier, leafier crops. If you put it on your blackcurrants and gooseberries and, and apples, you'll get massive growth next year and you're invite at the expense of fruit. Right. And you're you also, get lots of leaves and branches You get a huge amount of leaf growth, a huge yeah. amount of stem growth at the expense of a bit of the reverse of what I was saying about the rhododendron. Mm. You'll, you'll have, you're giving the plant a huge amount of nitrogen and you're going to get that sort of growth. It's what you want with rhubarb. It's what you want with potatoes. Right, because you're eating the stem, Correct. really, yeah. Yeah, but with the with the uh, uh, the apples and that, what I would actually put on them at this time of year is the potash. So for the potash, get yourself a little tub of that and put a sprinkle of that around each of the gooseberries, blackcurrants and apples and you'll build them up for next year. I just dug out potatoes and wonder what can I sow in their place for winter veg? Well, um, I mentioned, I think already, uh, things like the broccoli, the purple mm. sprouting broccoli. They're available in plants at the moment. Any of the winter cabbages, so the savoys or spring cabbages, they're available now as we speak. Um, Japanese onion sets, which are winter hardy. If you plant them now, they're like ordinary sets. You plant them at this time of year. They grow through the winter and you can use them as greens coming up to Christmas, January sort of period. Mm. But they provide full-size onions then in May, early June. When, when onions tend to be expensive because you're, you're you're getting all the imported onions in. So Japanese onion sets, garlic can be planted this time of year. Uh, lettuce, a lovely variety called Little Gem, or all year round lettuce can be planted this time of year. Um, Swiss chard could be sown from seed. It's a lovely winter vegetable. Um, so any of those, any of the kind of winter hardy uh, white Lisbon, you get a winter hardy variety, again can be sown from seed now, which give you lovely scallions in, in springtime. So any of those plants, lot, there's lots of vegetable plants that can be planted okay. and seed as well. Uh, Portuguese laurel hedging set last September. Should I feed it now or trim for the winter? Well, 
I would just, yeah, in terms of feeding plants, apart from the potash that I mentioned, mm. which, which slows down growth, we're coming into the time of year where I wouldn't be doing a whole lot of feeding on, on hedges because you're only stimulating new growth. So leave them alone for the winter, but give it a tidy. Certainly, by all means, you could give it a, a trim it's, back it's and right. tidy it up for the winter, uh, take off any strong growth, kind of even off the hedge to one height and just tidy it up. Um, the one thing I would be feeding at this time of year mm. would be hanging baskets, actually, funny enough, okay. and window boxes yes. because they've been slow to come into flower. And if you feed them at this time of year, you'd probably extend the flowering up until the end of October, which is another six or seven weeks away. So by liquid feeding to the um, the hanging baskets, window boxes, bedding plants in general, you're going to extend the flowering period for them. And, um, you know, they have, they've, they've come into flower late this year, but you're going to get the benefit of that at the end of the summer. So I'd certainly liquid feed those sort of plants. But in general, feeding in the garden, apart from the sulfur potash, I wouldn't be giving a whole lot of fertiliser to plants. Okay. Um, what type of a privet hedge would grow best in a coastal area? Well, privet hedge comes in two types. It comes in the green and the variegated. The green is, is more robust. It's tougher. It tends to be a little bit more vigorous as well. So for me, I would use the, the green privet. Now, what you will find in a coastal area is that the privet will tend to lose its foliage in the winter, right. but it'll come back on in the spring. Another good plant the listener could consider would be Iliagnus abengii. Which is, yeah, I know you're looking so, at me there. Sorry. Say that again. <laughs> yes, please. Iliagnus ebengii is the name of the plant. So it's a silver, silver-leaved Iliagnus. Very, very tough. Great in seaside conditions. It, it, um, the salt air doesn't seem to damage the foliage. It's evergreen, so it retains its foliage 12 months of the year. And it makes a super hedge, anything from kind of six feet up to about eight feet in height. So that's a plant called Iliagnus ebengii. Great seaside plant, tough, hardy, evergreen really good plant but you could certainly grow the green privet but do remember it's going to be naked from December through to probably March Okay so if you're looking for I mean I suppose everybody well most people plant hedges to for provide privacy in some capacity exactly. so to be mindful of the fact that you won't have the leaves there yeah. for a period Particularly of time. if it's an exposed open seaside area privet gives itself that protection it's a natural thing it does it just drops the leaves in winter uh, if it's under any kind of stress or hardship or if we get a, a lot of wind or, or cold weather um, so yeah, privet is an option but I would I would hedge more for the uh, Iliagnus abengii that silver leaf to the Agnes very tough right uh, some, I just noticed somebody was uh, uh, regarding the question uh, at the earlier start of the programme really the wedding cake tree as much yeah. as I love it 600 euro is very tempting I think she's ready to sell it now yeah well there you go <laughs> Well, you'll buy a young plant. I mean, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, only saying yeah. to you that in 10 years' time, that's going to be the value. It, yeah. So I would not I would treat this this uh, plant with some care because right. yes. uh, it's a valuable yeah, plant. It is a valuable plant, But yes. you can buy a young, you know, you'll buy a young uh, wedding cake tree yeah. for maybe 30 euros or whatever. And But but certainly after 10 years, yeah. it's worth yeah. that sort of money. Just realise, I suppose, you know, it does give you a sense of, when you put a price on it like that, of, um, you know, the fact that you do put a lot of work into caring for something and, it, you know, that it lives and it grows. Yeah. You know, the thing itself does become more valuable as well. Absolutely, yeah, but particularly yeah. the wedding cake tree yeah. because, you know, if I was if you were to ask me to get me to get you a 10-year-old one, that's what it would cost. Right. And um so it's it's a tree and I suppose I mentioned the price mm. to oh, to yeah. emphasize well, how to be careful with it, this tree through the winter. Making the point worked, I think. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we have to leave it there, Porik. Right. You're uh, on on screens, on air in a physical sense or a visual sense on Thursday morning. No, not this Thursday. Not no, this I'm, Thursday. I'm, it's every second Thursday. Okay. So I'm back on the 20th of uh, the right. 20th. But you are on the airwaves with us next Saturday. I am. Yeah. Next Saturday I'll be here again. So Great stuff. For those people that are up at half seven, and <laughs> start sending you in the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Leave it till half eight. Listen, have a lovely weekend. Right. Thank you very Thanks much indeed. And thank you for all your questions. Questions. Uh, we'll be back again with Good Morning Mayo next Saturday, just after seven o'clock. Until then, have yourselves a wonderful weekend. Stand by. Michael Neary is coming your way directly after the news.